morning. Those of you that are back with us for the first time, we're so glad that you're here. And those of you joining us online, we're so glad that you're here with us as well. We are better together. And, uh, and so as we go through August, we've got some ways that we're going to highlight that. And here in just a moment, when you dismiss, we have a treat for you. And we've got something for you every week through the month of August. So be ready for that. Um, each each week. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go to two places this morning as we get started. One of those is Psalm 147 and the other one is Matthew chapter 10. So put your fingers there, hold that. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We'll do a little bit of jumping around and moving around scripture um, this morning. So many of you know that I am a big baseball fan. I love the game of baseball. It's, it's really the best sport ever. And um, so as we've been watching baseball this year, so excited to see my Houston Astros play again. But here's the bad news. They're not doing very good. And um, they're, they've got a losing record for the first time in a very long time. And it's just been painful to watch. And yes, I know many of you believe they deserve it and so forth. So as you know, the Astros have been um, kind of caught uh, supposedly cheating. And uh, so I have not read the first article on any of that stuff. I have not paid attention to it. I've been in denial about the whole thing and just think it's basically a conspiracy theory and so forth. So since they're playing so bad, over the past couple of weeks, I've decided to kind of learn a little bit more. And so I've been reading a few articles about all that went down and so forth in 2007, 2018 with their supposed sign stealing uh, scandal that they've been involved in. And essentially, here's what, here's what happened. Um, they were apparently had a person in center field that was videotaping uh, the signals to the pitcher and relaying the pitch to the dugout and essentially somehow communicating to the batter what the pitch would have been. And so they had a couple of different ways you've, you've heard about. You know, they had to decode the signs. You know, really good catchers and really good teams change their signs throughout the game. And there's the whole code behind that. So they would decode the sign and then pass that sign to the dugout. The dugout would then signal, signal it to the batter. So the batter would have an idea of what pitch would be coming. And all that happened to have it happen in a matter of moments. And so what would happen is they would signal it. And it would be sometimes in different ways. They, you know, beat on a trash can. Uh, to signal certain pitches. Sometimes they would get a signal to the guy on, on if they had base runners, they would have a guy that would know that and, and hear, see that sign, then relay that somehow to the batter and so forth. So that sometimes, my, my argument is that very rarely, the batter would know exactly what pitch the pitcher was going to throw, which gave him an advantage, which was part of the problem with baseball. Now, I was taught as a little kid, and I've since grown out of this and realized that this is sin, but I was taught if you're not cheating, you're not winning. Um, bad lesson and so forth. So I had to kind of work through that and realize, okay, that's, that's really unfair. And the reason it's unfair is because one of the beauties of the game of baseball is the mystery, is the unknown behind the game. For instance, when, when the ball begins to come out of the pitcher's hand, the batter has no idea what pitch that is. At best, he guesses what it might be. But the truth of the matter is, the moment the ball comes out, he's got milliseconds to figure out 
where the ball's going to be, what the ball's going to do, and what the speed of the ball is, which is the phenomenal part of the game, that they can pick all of that so quickly, react, and hit it, put it into play. And when the ball goes into play, when a batter hits the ball, they have no idea where it's going to go. You have no idea. You've got nine guys on the field that have no idea what's going to happen, which is what makes the game fun, the unknown moments of the game. You're not sure what's going to happen next. One of the reasons I think I like baseball is because in a lot of ways it's a lot like life. Because there's so much unknown in this life. The truth of the matter is we have no idea what's going to happen next. You don't know what's going to happen in the next five seconds, five years, 50 years. We have no idea. At best, we can predict. At best, we can, we can guess. Like we didn't have any idea this morning we were apparently going to have an earthquake this morning. And I didn't even know we had an earthquake until somebody said something to me about 30 minutes ago. We had an earthquake. And I was like, I lived through my first earthquake ever. We have no idea. There's so much we don't know. In fact, when you came out of the womb, you began a process of learning things. You didn't know anything at that moment. And through the years and through the education and through experience and through lessons taught and picked up along the way, we've gained more and more knowledge. Human history is the pursuit of what we don't know. In fact, human history began in the book of Genesis. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, it really began to turn the corner with the desire to know something that was unknown. The enemy tempted Adam and Eve and he said, here's the problem. You need to eat this fruit because there's things you don't know. And if you want to be like God, eat this. And you'll have knowledge of good and evil. So much we don't know. So much in our limited minds and our limited time that is kept from us. So many questions that we have. So many whys and what and where and when that we don't know the answers to. We can pursue, we can put all of our heads together and the reality is we will never attain all things and understand all things and know all things. But God does. Every question that we have, God knows the answer. Even the questions that we don't know we should have God knows the answer. Everything that happens, everything that is going to happen, God knows it all. God understands things from a perspective that we don't understand. God fully understands that. We call this the omniscience of God, that there is none like him in knowledge, that no one knows as much as he knows. No one knows as, as, as deep as he knows. He knows all things. There's no question that God has. There's nothing God hasn't figured out. There's no knowledge that God needs to gain. And there's no knowledge he's ever grown in because he knows it all up front. He knows everything. That's a really good thing. This morning we're going to explore and talk about the knowledge of God. Our all-knowing and all understanding and all wise God. And specifically see why that has an impact upon us. 
So I want you to begin in Psalm 147 this morning. Psalm 147 is a psalm, and there's a statement in that psalm that I want to draw your attention to in verse 4 and verse 5. And look at what the psalm writer says in Psalm 147, verse 4. Great, or verse 4, he determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their name. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God's knowledge is so vast that he knows every star. Now that doesn't seem that significant and when you glance over this and you read this, it doesn't, it seems more of a poetic thing. But to think about the fact that God knows every star. If you were to go out on a clear night, far away from light, the best likely your eyes could see of the number of stars in the sky would be around 4,000. If you're in the right place at the right time, maybe you can see 5,000 stars. Look up in the sky, and the very best that we could see with our eyes would be around 5,000. In the Milky Way galaxy, which is the galaxy we're part of, there are over 300 billion stars in that galaxy. And beyond our galaxy, we're told that there's likely over a hundred billion galaxies like ours. In this vast, massive universe that we don't know how big it really is and how many and what is all in it, God knows Every one. Gives them their names. The average human has a vocabulary of about 60,000 words. At any given time, you have a dictionary of about 60,000 words that you can pull upon out of your mind. 60,000. Yet God knows Billions of names, first names, last names, middle names, and the history of everyone living right now. I can't even remember all of your names and vice versa. See, his knowledge is is vast. The the depth and the width of, of all that he knows can't even fathom what the mind of God understands and what the mind of God grasps. It's so, so vast. But in its vastness, it's also specific. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God's knowledge is so vast knowing far more than all the human minds ever put together could possibly seek to understand a speck of vast, but also, as it's vast, it's also very specific. It's minute. Draw your attention to Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is teaching on fearing God alone, but in the midst of that, he says something in verse 28, uses an illustration, verse 29, and he says this, 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God's knowledge is vast, that he understands and sees and knows far beyond anything that we could comprehend and understand. But at the same time, God's knowledge is also very specific. And Jesus uses this illustration to make a point that we'll make in a moment, but the illustration is really important to understand. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? What that means is a sparrow, a small bird, is worth very little in our, in our world, in our mind. We, we don't even take notice of it. Some of you are bird watchers, and you care a lot about that, but some of us don't. We don't notice the birds that are around unless they're getting on our nerves, whether they're banging on our window or they've gotten in the house or flying around the room or something. We don't really take a whole lot of notice of birds. But if you've ever watched a bird for any amount of time, you realize this, very few birds sit still. They're constantly moving. Have you ever watched a hummingbird? I mean, they're just, their wings are going so fast, they're constantly moving back and forth. A bird is always moving its head, being aware of prey, looking for prey, looking for food, looking for where it's going to go next. And it, its little muscles move, constantly moving. We don't even take notice of it, but yet God knows every single move that something as insignificant as that makes. Specific. There's not a bird in this world that God is not completely attentive to every beat of its heart and movement of its muscles. Specific. God knows what your dog is doing right now. What your dog is thinking right now. What your cat is doing right now. He is, he's so attentive to things that we don't even take notice of. Vast, specific, but also personal. Jesus goes on to make a point in verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, are you more valuable? You are more valuable than many sparrows. The Lord tells us here that even the hairs on your neck, this vast knowledge, this specific knowledge is also really personal for you so that God keeps a running total of the number of hairs on your head. Now, for some of you, you have made that so easy for God. It's not that hard. But think about this. God knows how many hairs you have right now versus how many you had yesterday. He keeps a running total of that. He's always aware at any moment. Robert Welch has this much hair. But beyond that, he knows every atom and cell He's attentive to every beat of your heart. He knows your blood pressure at this moment. And while you may be in denial, he knows your weight at this moment. He knows every little thing about you. He watches it attentively. And not only does he know it now, he knows it in 15 years. 
You see, this vast knowledge of God, this specific knowledge of God, is also a very personal knowledge of you. He knows everything that could ever be known about you. So much that he knows you better than you know yourself. There are things about yourself that you will never understand and you will never know, but God already knows it all. Nothing surprises about you, him about you. He knows you so well. He knows exactly how you would respond in certain situations and exactly what your re reaction would be. He knows exactly how you would respond. If someone were to come up to you and compliment you on the way you look, he knows exactly what you would say and exactly how you would feel. In fact, he knows exactly why you chose to wear what you're wearing today. He knows what you're going to do today after church. He knows what you're going to do this afternoon. And he knows why. He knows the whole process of thought that goes into that and why you pick the things and do the things that you do. And he knows how you'd respond in any situation. Nothing catches him off guard in that. He knows exactly how you would respond if you were to have woken up this morning, opened your bank account, and seen $100,000 more today than there was yesterday. He knows exactly what you would do and exactly what you would think. And he also knows exactly how you would respond if someone were to come to you in just a moment and give you the worst news of your life. There's not been a feeling that you've had or a thought that you've had that he didn't already know and know what you would do. That's a really, really good thing. God knows us like that. Because sometimes we can feel so alone in our feelings. We can feel so alone in what we're going through. And we feel like as though we're the only one that understands and the only one that gets it. But it is not the case. God understands and knows it fully. But that's also a really transparent thing. Because in our thoughts and in our feelings and in our actions and in the things we do and in the reasoning behind why we do what we do, God is also aware of those things that are not good. He's aware of all of the good and the wonderful and the truth and the reality, the things that we would want him to know, but there's, he's also very aware of the things that we would rather him not know. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, 3, verse 10, he says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they use their tongues to deceive. Their venom is of asp is on their lip. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God. And so he concludes in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God is aware of all of that. It's vast. It's specific. It's personal. So that David comes to the conclusion in Psalm 139, verse 1, and says, You have searched me, and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, 
You know it all together. Have you ever said something and been like, I didn't mean to say that? Or have you ever heard someone say something and it shocked you that it came out of their mouths? That's never been the case with God. God's never been surprised by what you've said. Because before you even thought it, God knew you would say it. He knew the tune. He knew the reason. He knew everything behind it. You've searched me and known me, David says. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God's knowledge, this all-sufficient, this omniscient God, all-knowing, his knowledge is vast, it's specific, and it's personal. And it's so personal I want to draw your attention to something else. God knows you so well that he will never put you in a situation that is more than you can handle. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the Apostle Paul says something that is really important to understand with God's deep and personal knowledge of us. He says this in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Do you know what that means? What you face is not new. You are not the only one that's walked through it. You're not the only one that's ever faced it. There's no temptation that all of a sudden, oh my goodness, this is the first time humanity has ever faced this in you. No, it's common to man. The word temptation can be interchanged as well. Same word in Greek is used to speak of trial, which they have a lot in common. Trials can turn into temptation for us. There's nothing that we ever face that is so bizarre and so unique and so different now, to you it may be, and God knows that about you. God knows that, hey, this person's never faced this before. This is going to shock this person. They're, they're not going to understand, or this is going to draw this person towards sin. God is very aware of that. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. So in his knowledge of you, listen, God is faithful. And here's how he's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is never going to let something come towards you and come at you that you are not able to face. He knows you that well. God is never in this situation where he's like, let's just see how they handle this one. No, God knows exactly how you'll handle it. God knows exactly what you'll do with it. In fact, James speaks to this. In James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. God, in his knowledge, his sovereign control of everything, doesn't cause the things that happen, but he does allow them to come. 
God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't force us and push us in trials. That's part of life. That's part of humanity. And that's partly driven by the sin that is in us. We're enticed and drawn away. It's not God that does that because God gives us all the tools to face what we face. God gives us everything that we need to make it through what we face. Whether it be a trial, whether it be a temptation, or whether it be just a regular day, God provides everything for those of us that he knows so well in every situation. And so that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. God will He knows you so well. He will never let you be put into a situation that you cannot handle by trusting him. He has got everything you need. God will never ask you to do something that he knows that by trusting in me, you can't do it. God will never put you in a situation. God will never let you face something that he knows This person cannot do this and handle this, even if they trust in me. Yeah, we don't see it that way. We face situations and we worry about situations that we think, man, if that happened, I couldn't handle that. I I don't know what I'm going to do. And we begin to to face and fight those things as, as though... As though this is not fair. And this is, I can't do this. Listen, follower of God. He knows everything about you. And the very fact that he's let you be in that situation means you can face it. And you can do it by trusting in him. Case in point. And this is really personal for me, and it's a lesson that I have to be reminded of each season of life. There have been many things that I have gone through in my short life that I have realized as I faced it, as they came, I began to worry, and I began to fret, and I began to think to myself, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I don't have the capacity to do this. And aside from that, there are things that have made me anxious and worry. That I fear that if these things ever happened to me, I would never make it through it. And you know what's funny? Here I am. And what's funnier, there you are. Half of what you worried about that you couldn't face, you never faced. And then what you did face that seemed impossible, you made it through. Hmm. God knows something here, huh? Yes, he does. He knows everything about you. And he'll never put more and you can handle. In fact, God makes a specific promise about this for us. He says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you. 
plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray, and I will listen to you. God knows you so well, he'll never put you in a situation that is more than you can handle. He is omniscient, and that omniscience, that all-knowing is about you, and it's laced with promises for you in that, so trust him. You know, when we don't know something, we typically have our go-tos of, of where we get those things answered. So thankful for the invention of Google. You don't know something, you can Google it. And YouTube, if you don't know how to do something, there's typically going to be a demonstration on how to do that something and how often we go to those places and so forth. But there's other things that are just kind of beyond us. And so, for instance, many of us have a mechanic that we go to when something's not working with our car. Or we have certain people that we would call. So, I don't know anything about cars, to be honest with you. It's just not my wheelhouse. When, when, when I bought my most recent vehicle... I was with the salesman. He says, do you want to look under the hood? And I said, why? <laughs> I wouldn't know whether that's a good thing under there or a bad thing. I, I have no idea what any of that stuff is. And still to this day, I have not opened my hood. Because I don't, I don't understand it. I don't compute it. So when something's not right with my vehicle, there's a couple people I, I know have a lot of knowledge about that. So I call them. And if they don't have the solution or the answer, I go to somebody who does. Pay them money. Why? Because they know. You ever had your internet go down at your house? I don't even understand how the internet works. I have no idea how I can look on my phone and it be connected to Wi-Fi to some router that's connected to some server somewhere that gives me all the information I want to. But when that goes down, it's a disaster. I don't really know how to fix it. I have no idea. Press a button. All I know to do is turn it on and turn it off. There's a little button on the back that you can reboot it. But if that doesn't work, I don't really know what else to do. And it leaves many of us having to call Spectrum to say, hey, listen, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how to fix it. My internet's down. When something's not feeling right, when you're sick, you've got to go ask someone that knows more about the human body and about medicine than you do. Because the best most of us know how to do is how to put Tylenol into our bodies, and that doesn't fix everything, does it? We've got to go get the expert of an, uh, the, the knowledge of an expert on those particular things. We just don't know. Listen, friends, in every situation in life and in every moment of life, there is one that knows everything about it. He knows it backwards and forwards. He wrote it. And through his son, he's given you access to know him who knows you so well so that any moment of life and any question in life and anything that we face and, and what do we do and how do we do and, and what's the future, he knows it. So go to him. When we're at those moments of anxiety, when we're at those moments of not understanding, when we're at those moments of we just don't get it, we run to the expert, him. You see, our knowledge is limited, but his knowledge is unlimited. He's the one we should run to. And for that matter, he's the one that we should follow. 
Because the pathway for your life and the direction for your life and the future, he, ha he has it all mapped out and all planned. And the reason so often we get off track is because we think we know. And so we move away from his way and we start doing our way. Well, our way is done in limits. Yet God's way is unlimited. He knows you, he knows your future, and he promises if you walk with me and as you trust me and as you walk beside me and follow me, listen, I will give you triumph. So depend upon him. In his omniscience, in his all-knowing, vast, specific and personal knowledge, which is without error. He only brings you what he knows you can handle by trusting him. He knows you. Do you know him? He's made it so simple to know him and to learn and to know his plan for your life. He sent his son Jesus. And if you'll trust in him to be your Lord and Savior, you'll know God. Have you done that? That's where it all begins. That's where the limits end. And the unlimited begins. Knowing Jesus. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, for those here today, whether, whether in this room or whether online, that don't know Jesus as their Savior, God, would you save them today? Would you open their eyes and open their mind and open their hearts to know Jesus, to trust in him, to turn their life over to him, the all-knowing, all-sufficient Savior. Save them. And for those of us that do know Jesus, help us to trust in you, knowing all things, having it all planned out, trust that you've never put us in a situation as painful and as difficult as it can be and as weird as it can be and odd as it can be you never put us in something that you know that by trusting in you we can't handle so help us to trust you and to follow you and to seek your wisdom through the way through it all I thank you there's nothing that takes you by surprise you know the beginning from the end. And every moment, and every second, and every atom and cell and heartbeat from beginning to end. Every thought and every feeling, you know it all. Thanks for being a God like that. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So one of the special things about God's incredible, vast, and specific personal knowledge is that He knows you. He knows everything about you. He's your creator, and He wants you to know Him. As He knows us so well, He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. And so this morning, you can begin that relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to uh, explore your relationship with God and help you walk to that place of point of receiving the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Here on the screen is a number. And if you'll text the word Jesus to that number, one of our pastoral staff will get that and will follow up with you, pray with you, talk with you this morning. Listen, God knows you and he wants you to know him. Don't leave today without knowing him. Church family, we love you. And we've got some important things we want to share with you. Just So if you'll just hang tight for just a couple of moments. We've got two really specific and important announcements we want you to know about. It's been great worshiping with you. Check this out. Hey family, I'm here today with Michael Cummings, our surf pastor. Michael has been on staff with us for 29 years. And he's got some important news that he and Darylin want to share with our church family this morning. Michael. Thank you, Pastor. Folks, we love y'all so very much. And Daryl and I have been praying for over a year about uh, making a big decision in our lives. And so as of September 30th of this year, I'm going to be retiring. It's not something that we've taken lightly. It's something that we have really, really struggled with. But we feel like that's where the Lord is leading us at this time. We have some grandchildren in California, and we have a new grandchild here in, in North Carolina. And I want to thank you all for the way that you've encouraged us through these years, how you've allowed me to, to grow into the pastor that I am now and to be able to serve with you and serve alongside of you. So thank you, friends, for all that you've done. And uh, we'll be here for a few more weeks. And we're not leaving the church. We're going to have this as our church home. Charlotte will be our home. We'll be here hopefully forever until we go to heaven. So thank you again. And I love every one of you very much. So this is... Uh... Big news for the Cummings family, but also for First Baptist. And I want you to know that we're going to celebrate Michael in some huge, huge ways. While it, it probably is shocking to you as much as it has been to me, we're going to miss them and love them. But the month of September here at First Charlotte is going to be Michael Cummings month. And we've got some big things we're going to do to celebrate him and want you to be praying for them, want you to be praying for um, this transition for their lives, and also take some time to encourage him. Um, in this. Also have some other news that we want to share with you, so hang tight just for a moment. So in light of that news, our personnel committee has made some decisions to help fill some of the gap uh, as we walk through Michael's retirement uh, together. And so these guys have been here in our church for some time, and we've elevated them from the intern level to uh, the ministry associate level. And to my right is Hayden Pizzoni. Hayden's been working uh, specifically in our student ministry and college ministry for the time that he's been here. But he's going to be specifically working with college students and with our community groups, as well as starting a counseling ministry here uh, through our church. We're excited about that. You know, of course, Noah Mishaw. Noah's worked with our students in his time here, and uh, he's been elevated to ministry associate. We'll continue to work with our students in the same way, but also will oversee the ministry at our Family Life Center. And next to him is Joey Davison. Uh, Joey and his family have been here at First Baptist for some time. Joey has a call upon his life to serve the Lord uh, through the church. He's actually in seminary right now. We're really excited about Joey and the call that God has on his life and the things that God is doing through him. And he's coming on staff with us as a ministry associate 
associate specifically working with our pastoral ministry. He'll help with pastoral care. He'll work closely with Sunday school classes uh, and things like that. And so we're excited about these guys and uh, their service to our church and, and looking forward to you getting to know them and working closely with them. Church family, we love you. It's been great worshiping with you today. Hope you'll hang around just for a little bit longer. We've got a few things happening in the life of our church we want to remind you of, but we will see you next Sunday.